No. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am okay, thanks. How are you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm personally good. I'm not sure about the world. context in the US and lots of other places, but yeah, I'm good actually. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're probably going to say the same, but I just really hope everyone is as okay as they can be with everything that's going on at the moment. Yeah. Obviously the news about Brianna Taylor is really sad and her family will be upset about that first and foremost. I just want to say for those feeling a bit despondent who want a kind of positive next step, just check out the work of the African-American Policy Forum because they're doing really amazing work, um, looking to the future, great stuff on their website, check them out, African-American Policy Forum. Yeah, um, that's all I'd say. Just because a lot of people are kind of at this point going, ah, like what next? Well, I mean, maybe we can raise a little bit of admin here because we've got our theme tune for sale on Bandcamp and basically we're donating all of the proceeds 100% of the money that we get after Bandcamp take their cut we donate all of that money and we've split it between three organizations one in Germany which we're based one in the UK where we're from and one in the US so it's Sister Space in the UK African American Policy Fund in the US and Women in Exile in Germany if you want to go and purchase it it's a minimum of three euros but you can pay what you like if not Go and donate to any organisation that you feel will help. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Mailbag. Less serious admin. <laughs> less serious admin. Let's do it, please. I had a new piece go up on The Ringer about Tiago Bale and James Rodriguez. It's about how all of their signings just kind of feel good. Yeah, it's great, great piece. Thanks. I managed to get in a little little mention for uh, Goran Ivanisevic. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I won't spoil the surprise for you, but if you go and read that article, it features two of the best descriptions of Thiago Alcantara I've seen in football anywhere. And in fact, two of the best descriptions of that type of midfielder. Oh man. Um, the whole piece is great, but those, the whole piece is great, don't be wrong, as ever. Just that those, those in particular are like, those are things that you can use to, des- I think those are things coaches could actually use to describe. Oh really? Like, yeah, well, I just think, in particular, Maybe I should send it to Pirlo and be like, "Here's my thesis." Andrea. Well, yeah, like if you're trying, you know, if you're trying to describe to a particular midfielder, this is how I want you to play at close quarters and in enclosed spaces, and they'll be like, "What do you mean?" Oh, that, and they'll be like, "I get it." You see, you hear the instruction. You hear you're doing the really well with the no spoilers. Well done. That's how, that's my energy. Listen, that's, uh, I think that's you know. I mean, I mean, some pieces I write, and if I wasn't me or you, and I was reading it, I'd be like, "This guy's hanging around with Ogwanga too much." <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, too much. More admin, Stadio Outros on Spotify. If you want to listen to some music, we need to do another Stadio session soon. It's been ages. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't think we can do it this week. Maybe next week. I'll have a look at the fixtures and see. Yeah. Oh, other bits of admin. Someone tweeted me, and apologies, I can't, I couldn't go back and find the tweet who it was, but someone tweeted me saying, hey, maybe a shout out for Canada. I'm not sure why, but apparently we have some listeners in Canada, so I just want to shout out Canada. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Canada. <laughs> it was Bi Visibility Day on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So happy Bi Visibility Day to anyone who. To be fair, it's a lot of syllables. Why you? It's a lot of syllables. It's a lot of syllables. Yeah, it is. Uh, we posted a picture that wasn't a recent one. Yeah, it was one from January of you and me, 
one buy, one rye. <laughs> and the people were like, oh, oh, it's the cardigan versus Rolnick Wars starting up again. Yeah. It's like, because oh, I was wearing a cardigan, you were wearing a Rolnick. And everyone was like, oh, Ian Wright said, man, it's, it's September. You're with the Rolnecks already. And I was just like, no, 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 it's an old picture. It's <laughs> but I was straight in there. Social distancing, no recent close pictures. Anyway, ugh, nonsense. Good times. Yeah. That's how it should be. Uh, so today we're going to do a mailbag episode because we thought that we did that bonus episode on Tuesday about Macclesfield Town yeah, and yeah. it was kind of heavy and this week is quite heavy and we're just not going to run through the EFL Cup games or the Carabao Cup games or the Rumbelows Cup or whatever it's called anymore. Cup, <laughs> the, Cup. the Milk Cup. Milk Cup. The Milk Cup. <laughs> Carling Cup. <laughs> what else was it? Was it the John Smiths? No. Was it the John Smiths? No, no I don't think so. Worthington's? Worthington's. Worthington's. There you go. I like the bit. I like Worthington's actually. I like the bit. <laughs> really nice, yeah. Um, <laughs> wasn't that the thing of Worthingtons like the Worthingtons I'm not bitter yeah it was yeah like the Worthingtons I'm not the word yeah like the wow that that's some that was I great a lo- load of a load of non-UK people being like what the hell some like someone needs to change their batteries <laughs> <laughs> anyway so yeah we're going to swerve the the League Cup stuff because football and we wanted to do a fun mailbag episode so let's get into it after this this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Before we do move on finally to the mailbag, I want to say a massive shout out to everyone who reached out about Tuesday's bonus episode. Oh yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, it wow. really means a lot. Thank you. We had some really, really lovely comments about that and yeah, really appreciate it. Just glad that we could do a, a standalone podcast on that. So yeah, for sure. We'll do more of that kind of stuff. We used to do loads, before, didn't we? But then football just <laughs> no, no, arrived no. like no, a no, no. wave. No, it's when no one was watching. We, we got yeah, it was. In, in the shadows. In the shadows. Before, we our, before we joined the ringer and we had our nice little quiet corner of the internet. Exactly, little hot like takes. Very much like sneaking out the hot takes. It was ah. kind of like we had our own little like footballing podcast, Wakanda. Exactly. No one bothered us. <laughs> we were left alone. <laughs> we do like going after people occasionally when they need to be got. Exactly. Exactly. That was so threatening. The way you said that, it's like, it's like Christopher Walken looking at you, Matt Hancock. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> they need to do footage of your rants. They just like cut them all into like two minutes. I go full Kevin King and I'm just like, he's got to go home. Wait, wait. I would love it. I would love it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. Let's go and get into the mailbag. All right. I want to start with a really fun one from Douglas Abbott via email. 
I love this. We've had a few tweets about this as well. And live, you know how, like I said a couple of weeks ago or last week when we, when we had that question about a hot take each. Yeah. And I was like, I think I'm starting to believe me. <laughs> Get a load of this from Douglas. If Liverpool's aim is to be on the level with Real Madrid and Barcelona, the biggest moment this century is obviously signing Klopp. I feel like Thiago is now second because of how he's viewed in the game by other players. Liverpool haven't signed someone of his reputation this century. I think his arrival could say to other stars, it's okay to come here. I agree with everything so far. The last step in being on the level with the Barca, Real Madrid, etc. is signing the guy. I still think there's a chance. <laughs> Here we go. I, I think there's a real chance Liverpool sign Mbappe next summer. I'd still have Real as the favourites, but I now think it's 60-40 after Thiago and switching to Nike this summer. Do you, think, do you guys think Thiago will have a big impact on the players Liverpool can attract or is it negligible because Klopp is the main draw? Thanks, Doug. I love that question. I think the acquisition of Thiago was huge. Look how keen he was. Look how that was basically the only club that he was seriously linked with. I mean, United, there was a talk, was leverage really. I mean, but Liverpool was the absolute front runner, which just says everything about the kind of club that it is. And I think, funny enough, you know, there's a talk of Real, but La Liga is not La Liga anymore. Mm. It's not the yeah, one, right? We said, we said La Liga's in trouble. Aren't we? Yeah, it's not. So if Mbappe is looking from a marketing perspective and like, just like in terms of global brand building, the Premier League is by far the premier destination. Are you going to say it's the greatest league of the world? Well, it, <laughs> TM. So Mbappe to Liverpool on and off the field makes the best possible sense. There's a space arriving for him in that front three, I think. Sooner rather than later. Who goes, Musa? Listen, they'll come for me if I... I know who it is. Yeah, I you think, know who it is. Yeah, I know yeah, who it is. We've said, we've said who it is. We think, I think it's, it's Mo Salah that goes. I agree. Um, because he's the, the best value in terms of a tradable asset. Salah to PSG is just an acquisition that makes sense all round, I think. Oh, I actually quite like that signing from a football sense. Yeah, it works football-wise. Nice, yeah. oh, nice, nice straight swap plus some money. I think why not? And, you know, I don't, do you know what? I'm, I'm sorry if Liverpool fans are all of a sudden doing the, you know, the gif where it's just like the... <gasps> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. But I don't hate that for Liverpool. It's a great fit for them. Then again, do you know what's funny? Here's interesting. What if Klopp reconfigures that front line? It's not a what if episode, Musa. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> not you at all. But it kind of is. With me, it's always what if, isn't it? Because the directions yeah. are going. Thiago changes that midfield so dramatically that it allows you to potentially change that forward three. The front three and the midfield three at Liverpool are so supremely balanced, but now they offer a completely different problem with Thiago in midfield. So you can actually reconfigure that front three. Yeah, yeah. I think Firmino and Salah are too good to not be guaranteed nailed on starters. So I think if Mbappe comes in, he's more likely to play right, yeah? So... Salah would be the one I would move if they have to move one. If they don't have to move it and they can just and they can just get Mbappe anyway, then God help anyone else. Yeah. We're all done. Yeah, we're done. We're done out here. <laughs> just cement over the league. Cement it over. Yeah. How terrifying. You know what's funny though? Can it, you know what's funny about this? It's funny because the the Liverpool um fans who are still at that point of because it had been so long before this mm. incredible run of success, when Tiago was basically like in the mix. 
My friends who are most doubtful of it were still Liverpool fans, despite having won, you know, those trophies recently, Champions League, World Club Cup, Premier League. Despite those wins, there's still that kind of, is this actually happening to us? Like, mm. can we actually believe? So it's quite sweet to see people actually going, oh, we could actually like, could kick on from here. It's, it's really, sweet. yeah, yeah. yeah. Sweet. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, is it safe to come out yet? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, any fan of any club that's won stuff has been like that. Any club that's been in the kind of like, been in the, in the lay-by for a few um, seasons while other clubs have won. You know, United mm. have been there, obviously we've been there, Arsenal have been there. You know, as Arsenal fans are well known on this podcast. Still there. Oh no. <laughs> That's why I'm so, when I, when I, I couldn't believe that I was just like, I think I'm starting to believe a little bit. Lisa. Hope it's a dangerous thing. Let's move on to another question, but thanks Doug. And uh, yeah, you're not the first Liverpool fan who has mentioned Mbappe to us recently. I'm waiting for a text off my friend Ash. Shouts to Ash yep, yep. in Tbilisi, Georgia. I'm expecting one from him soon about it. What do you, where do you think of Bappe is slotting? <laughs> okay, right. We had a few questions on the same thing, kind of same thing. So I'm going to read them all at once. One from Brad Feuerbringer. Hope I've pronounced that right, Brad. If you could get a famous director to do a last dance type of doc for a team season, who would direct it? And what team season would it be? One from Ravinda Clare saying, in light of the recent All or Nothing documentary, if you could watch a fly on the wall documentary of any single season at any club, which would it be? For me, it would be Newcastle's 95, 96 season. <laughs> after my little Keegan-esque rant in the early thing in the scene, early part of the podcast. And one from Patrick Corcoran. If you were to produce an All or nothing S documentary, what kind of things would you want to discuss and focus on and what team? A few questions, kind of similar things. So let's kind of frame it into one thing. So have we done this question before? I don't, I don't think we have. We maybe touched on it a little bit, but let's, I don't know, let's maybe do one last dance style thing and one all or nothing style thing. Ooh. Do you know what I'm interested in? Do you know what I'd like to see actually? Maradona at the first league title at Napoli. I know that there's been Maradona movie documentary, but I just think that that all the kind of political, social, you know, what it is to be in Naples, the organized crime in Naples, Maradona arriving from Barcelona, you know, the fee, the world record fee, the way that the North and the South have this like antipathy, this loathing, Milan in the north is a rich industrial town and the kind of working class southerners. There's so much there. Mm. There's so much you could go at through and, and also like giving shine to the players that Maradona played alongside because it wasn't a one man team. So would that be kind of like a last dance style? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think so. Yeah, because the, I think the last dance, last dance ultimately it tends towards victory, doesn't it? And all or nothing mm. is more about implosion. Mm. I mean, but, all or nothing is just more of a kind of like a, just a, this is what happened this season kind of thing. Yeah, but there's more of a tragedy attached, whereas all, mm. all the last dance is kind of like triumph from tragedy, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I just think I, there needs to be that element of, sort of the ascension to the happy ending. So I would say 87, Napoli. That makes... Oh, because I, I don't know that much about the nuances. I know a bit about um, the Italian political situation, but someone just breaking it down and the whole thing just obviously done Italian full subtitles, no mm. concessions to, even like slang, like no concessions to the outsiders. We've got to kind of like work it out and shoot it like the kind of, you know, shoot it like the wire almost, shoot it like, mm. start off by interviewing like a local trader, like someone yeah. that works down at the docks or whatever, like just start with real situated in the working class context and then build in 
the club, then been in the arrival of Napoli and shoot it almost from the perspective of inside the dressing room, but also completely outside it. So perspective of season ticket holder, who is that tradesperson, mm. and then like right in the middle of it. So like insider, outsider. I'd love to see that. My one's also an Italian one. Um, I'd love to see a proper Last Dance style documentary about Dennis Law's year in Torino. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Right, because right. the timing of it was really interesting. And I think you could go back and loop it into, because obviously it was, he, he signed for Torino, what, in 61 or 62? I think it was 61, it was. And this was only 12 years after the Supergirl air crash, which obviously killed that unbelievable Torino squad, yeah. the majority of them. And I just found it a really interesting thing. There was a really great essay about it in the Blizzard. There was so much random stuff that happened that year. Like, for example, Dennis Law just didn't really fit in there. He didn't really enjoy it. Players from Britain weren't really that well regarded there at the time. The pay wasn't great. He had a car crash as well. Him and Joe Baker had a car crash. If they drove the wrong way around a roundabout. Oh, wow. And he put in a transfer request at one point. He only, he was, only, he was only there a season, I think. There was an amazing thing where he was sent off against Napoli in a game later in the season. And apparently it was because the Torino coach had instructed the referee to send him off because he was angry about Dennis Law taking a throw in. Oh my goodness. That is all of that in a year. Yeah. But then before the Man United signing happened, he was told that apparently he was contracted to be sold to Juve. And that was part of the thing that happened when he signed to Torino. So it was just all of this weird shit going on. But coming in the aftermath of the Super Air disaster, yeah. you could loop it back in and see how they re- rebuilt the squad. Maybe that's two documentaries in one, but... Yeah, the Scotsman Abroad is a kind of interesting thing, like someone in a different context. Yeah. And then also like Italy at that point, like in terms of like, you know, a few years out of, after the war, rebuilding, you know, the society and, you know, something about, there's something quite interesting about a, a country kind of eager to please, you know, you've got this new glamorous signing mm. and you're kind of trying to put on your best show for them. It's super interesting, actually. I'd love that. Yeah. What about like an all or nothing then? Because I've got one. <laughs> the one I was going to use would have been 1950 Brazil-Uruguay. Oh, yeah. And all of that. Yeah, because the way that, the way that people were shunned after yeah. But then also the unlikely friendships that built up between, I think it'd be really beautiful to kind of end a scene, a final scene with like members of the opposing teams just being friendly with each other, yeah. hanging out and just like, you know, their grandkids just playing and being like, it was only football. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be so awesome, wouldn't it? At the end of the day, lads, it's only it f- were only football. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, the last five years. I've got one. I want an all or nothing of last season's Barcelona. <laughs> I, I love you've gone there. It's so and do you know funny. what I direct it? Where's Anderson? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I just want really borderline comical one shots of just people walking across the frame, whimsical music, and really frame it as a kind of almost like borderline Wes Anderson style comedy. And no football, no football though. No, no not no, a ball kick. I don't, see, I don't see a ball get kicked at all. I want this to, I want this to be like Grand Budapest Hotel. I just want it to be like the day-to-day runnings of an organisation. It could be Football Club Barcelona. Or it could be a hotel in Morecambe. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm it. amazed you didn't go for Uncut Gem style. Barca shot Uncut Gem style would just be absolutely no, because it makes it too. It makes it too edgy. I don't want this to be edgy. I want this to be like pastel. Because it is a farce, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. I want it to be pastel, and I want it to be like comedy marching across shots, <laughs> <laughs> like 
Luis Suarez going, like, incredible. walking across shot. Do you know what I mean? That I is, want that kind of thing. That is incredible. And like, yeah. wherever Messi walks, there's like people running around with like, you know, holding yeah, behind like, him. Like, like, yeah, a load of people behind just, him. Yeah. Permanently. Just, yeah. And people like sort of, with background stuff. And there's always someone like running around behind with like a cardboard with a sponsor on it. So yeah. wherever Messi goes in public, it's like Rakuten with an arrow pointing down to him. <laughs> that, you know what's funny about that? The club wouldn't recover from that. Like you would not recover. If a fast was made, if a farcical thing was made, the club could not recover. Yeah, I know, but. No, 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 it's a, no, it's a, no, it's a, no. It's, I think it's, I, mean, you know. I think it's, the bars would recover because they're adults, but. Are they? <laughs> <laughs> they're going to come fast. What would I like to see from the last five years? Do you know what? Controversially, apart from like stuff at Barca, I, I haven't found the last five years in terms of storylines that thrilling. Yeah. The other one I'd like to do is maybe one of Atleti, the second time they lost to, to Real Madrid in the, in the Champions League final. Was that 2016? Uh, yes. Yes. 2016 would be the one where Griezmann hit the, hit the bar with a penalty. Oh my God. A year of that, I think, would be interesting. That Atleti season actually was incredible. Mm. Yeah, that's a great shout because that was, when Atleti do a good campaign, they go deep. Like when they won the league yeah. in like 13, 14, that is like, for me. One of my see, favourite La Liga seasons. See, see that actually, that'd be interesting as a documentary because yeah. that is a highly underrated. And there's so many things going on there. You've got Gabby mm. getting the vital oh, goal. I love Gabby as well. Right, right. So do you know, if you did that, if you did that one, you know, it'd be amazing. You'd start that with Gabby opening scene. It'd be just Gabby talking. Can you imagine Gabby just talking with like his family and just going back to his career at Aletti and just thinking he didn't quite have a career there, but he's managed to pull it off and something might be in the air. Then you get David Villa's arrival. Do you know what? Oh, that, that actually would be ridiculous. Let the Safdie brothers do that one. Oh yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yes. Cholo's gems. Do you know what would be incredible about that? Because the climatic scene would obviously be the Camp Nou game. Yeah, and, and just you, like that really hyper-saturated stuff that like the Sassy yeah. Brothers always do. One O Tricks doing a really stressful soundtrack. Oh my God, that and would the be colors, amazing. And the colours as well. Yeah. Because just the natural colours of the camp now and also the disorientation of it being a full stadium and then like, you know, all that actually, do you know what? That do you know what? Been, if anyone knows, hang on, weren't, weren't the Safety Brothers on NBA desktop? Were they? And maybe if we can get them some archival footage. And just get them to like process the shit out of it like they do with all their gradient on the film and stuff like that. And we'll just do our own bootleg. Should we make one? Let's just make our own. <laughs> uncut, uncut Atleti. 13-14 Atleti season. That is, wow. I like that question. I love it. Wow, it's got me. We turned into kind of what if, didn't we? Grand Barcelona Hotel. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do this one question before we go to our first break. I really like this question. Alec Edmondson, I'd love you to talk about squad numbers. I think they're fascinating. Do numbers 1 to 11 still have value in today's game? Absolutely. Yes. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. It's like something mystical about numbers. Mm -hmm. At any level of the game, if you get a particular shirt, like when you join a new team, an amateur football team, and there's a load of shirts spare, if I've joined a team and I know I'm only playing as a sub, I'll take like the 17. So I'm out of everyone's way. And that's me nice. saying, it's me being deferential. Even if there's like a squad number one to 11 available, I won't take it because I'm saying, I'm a squad player. I've chosen number 17, so I'm well out of the kind of consideration. I'm just here to do a job. Give me 20 minutes a game and I'll be happy with that. I'll never get in your way. But if you get, if you get, if you had the choice of any number yeah. and you were, and you were in the gang, what yeah. would be your number of nine. choice? Nine, always. Always nine because... It's not an eight. No, 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 no because the, listen... Not everyone can I'm be an eight. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not kidding. Not everyone's called, not everyone's, eight is a calling, Ryan. 
Uh, it's not my calling. Um, my my numbers were always if I if I was going squad number, you know, like you said, a newbie, I would ask for number fourteen. Yeah, of course, Johan. <laughs> yes, yes. And if I was going for a one to eleven number, I'd always number seven was my number. It was yeah. my number all through school. And when I moved to Berlin, I either wore number seven or I had it. One year we had actual squad numbers, but I got given number 10. It's like, all right. seven, it's funny because seven's off, well, at United associated with the wing. Yeah. But you play inside as a seven, wouldn't you? You play inside. Yeah, I play centre midfield. I mean, I actually quite like number six as well. Six is great. Because of the relationship between numbers in the UK and on the continent, you know, six is seen as a, a Zexer. Yeah. It's literally the position in Germany, number six, deep lying midfielder. Whereas in England, we associate it very much with a centre-back. Yeah. I quite liked wearing number six when I moved to Germany. But um, yeah, back in the UK, I always used to wear number seven. So I think with a squad number, when you get it, it's telling what your responsibility is. Like, mm. that's the beauty of it. You have a, like a nine shirt and I'd look at it and be like, I meant to be edge the last man, like draw on goal. That's your thing. You're meant, you just look at that kind of 30 yards over. When the start of the game, when you kick off with a nine shirt on your back, you are looking at the 30 yards between the midfield and the defence. You're just looking at that gap thinking, oh my goodness, yes, that's, that's, I'm going there very soon. Do you know what we should do for Stadio Merch? We should, do, we should do a football shirt, like a proper football shirt, try and team up with someone, hit up Addy or Nike. <laughs> we'll do three. You can either buy like Hun number seven, or Kwonga number nine, or well, just an eight. <laughs> everyone, everyone at number eight. Oh my God, that would be amazing. <laughs> Everyone eight. Oh my God. I'd buy that. So you can only have three numbers, seven, eight or nine. Me, everyone, you. And people would be like, can we have a different number? No, sorry. No, can sorry. We- no, no, sorry. No, sorry. No, no, no. Seven, eight, nine. <laughs> oh my God. That's perfect. Let's go to a break. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, back from the break. We've got a couple of questions on Dortmund, and this actually is kind of interesting because I might be writing something on Dortmund soon. Mm. One from Grace is a Fisher saying, could Dortmund be almost shooting themselves in the foot in the sense of developing such incredible young talent that will always be picked up by other clubs? If they want to challenge Bayern, do they have to find ways to get people to stay? And one from Justin Koch, is this the best BFLB side since Klopp? How do you set expectations for a team this good that is still such a long shot to win the league? So two questions there, really, but in one. So first of all, how do you stop people leaving? Well, well, you don't, unfortunately. You look at the experience of Manchester and people leaving Manchester for Barcelona, Real Madrid. The reality is there's always a couple of clubs in the world, unless you're Barcelona, Real Madrid, that people will leave you for. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing that's interesting is at this point in history, in the next two years, that calculus might change because... La Liga is in a bit of a, a downward ebb. So the clubs that you go to might end up being English clubs for the next five years. It might be, you know, the, the pendulum might swing. And Barca and Rail have taken that for granted for a long time, I think. Like people will just come to us. And if they hadn't taken it for granted, they might have done more to strengthen the league as a whole. 
with the TV rights. They might have been more generous with the flow down of the TV rights. And that, that failure may cost them. Mm. So weirdly enough, so if the calculus stays, so for the next few years, I think, you know, people will still leave Dortmund for other places, like those clubs in particular. But funnily enough, and this is me kind of going a bit like slightly what if, if you'll forgive me for a moment. The geopolitical situation, Germany's handled COVID really well. The region that Dortmund's in and the surrounding town, surrounding area is really nice. So you could see, if you're making like a lifestyle choice, that's a really nice part of the world to live in. So I could see over time, not immediately, but over time, perhaps that becoming a more attractive lifestyle, like as a whole. Hey dude, they got a Trezor in Dortmund now. Trezor West. Oh my gosh. I still haven't, I still have not visited the hallowed city of Dortmund. Um, Oh man, I really love it. A load of Germans always just look at me super weird when I say I love Dortmund, but I don't know. I just really like it. It's like a half an hour to 40 minute walk from the Hauptbahnhof, so the central train station to the Westfalen. It's quite far. Yeah, but it's just nice. It's a quite nice walk. You walk through the, the town centre, you know, it's pretty chill. And then you kind of start, it gradually starts getting a little bit more leafy. And then all of a sudden you just see the stadium from, you know, through the trees and stuff around the corner. Oh, wow. And I don't know, I just like it. Maybe it's because I've only been there two or three times, but. No, if you like it, you like it. If it connects with you, just, yeah. Just yeah. a nice, I don't know. I think, I think also when, when there's somewhere that you, I mean, it's like I've said before, it's like one of my favorite places to watch football, like if not my favorite, basically. So I think maybe that kind of plays into it. And I've got a soft spot for Dortmund, you know, and like, I just want them to do all right. And do you know, I, I, love know, I well, like Dortmund, man. I love the Jude Bellingham signing mm. because not just as a footballer, but because two working class towns in kind of similar regions of the country, like, you know, Birmingham and Dortmund, you could draw analogies in terms of like how they're sort of geolocated in the country and the space they occupy. Birmingham, you know, working class area working class city and a proud one to Dortmund. I quite, it's a nice cultural fit. I mean, yeah, I mean, Birmingham is a much bigger city. But in terms of a cultural, in terms of a cultural. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's loop back into the questions. Is this the best BFLB side since Klopp? I would say, I don't know yet. I think it's got the best potential since Klopp. I've actually, I actually think it's got greater potential than the, the Klopp side. It's the most talented team I've seen since the Klopp era. It's the most talented Dortmund team I've, I've seen actually. In terms of actual talent, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think they've got more to come in. They've got Mori, they've got Makoku, they've got players who are waiting. Well, here's a hot take in terms of talent. This team, Gio Reyna, Jadon Sancho, Erling Haaland and Jude Bellingham all have the talent to be Ballon d'Or long-listed. They all have the talent. Like those, that, that, that is like, to me, that's, that's indisputable. That's the talent level that they have. Oh, yeah. And then if you think you add Julian Brandt to that, you have Torgan Hazard, you have Marco Royce, who's still there, who can still do a job. And I think they could be really smart in how they handle Marco Royce this season. <laughs> so I was just laughing. Did I was laughing? I was just thinking of Marco Royce and thinking of like, he's on the Tribe Called Quest of this squad, people like writing him off. And he's like, oh, yeah. I'm going to drop my best material on you people. <laughs> I've been studying the game. <laughs> I've been out, but I've been studying the game. You're just going to drop like exactly, yeah. freestyle on everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, Boom, bada. Yeah. Watch your teeth chatter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to loop it back into Grace's official question. Could Dortmund be almost shooting themselves in the foot in the sense of developing such incredible young talent that will always be picked off by other clubs? Right. There's part of me, this is kind of the thing I'm going to write about. There's part of me that thinks that Vatska 
is potentially the most like tantric CEO in football. Oh my gosh. <laughs> tantric. I love it. Okay. I'm going to go. Here we go. Is that giving away too much of the piece? Uh, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. Okay. I think it's a fair, yeah, I think it's a fair assessment that. Because I, th- I think there's part of him that loves the chase so much that he never actually wants to get there. <laughs> you actually said it. You actually said it. Having said, I have accused Arsenal of playing tantric football, but that's only been on Twitter. They've actually put it on. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, look, I think um, the beauty of Dortmund's coaching model, you're always going to get players that grow up dreaming of playing for other clubs, right? But you mm. will get a certain amount that will grow up dreaming of playing for Dortmund. I think they're going to be okay. I think Dortmund actually, you know, they, they probably are looking at the, the long term. A regional strength, a European powerhouse, and like a relatively affordable area to live. That whole region is still like, you know, it's still like by the standards of Germany, so fairly affordable. I don't know. I just think, I think Dortmund's best years are ahead of them on and off the field. I agree. Yay, Dortmund. Hey, uh, BFLB. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. Black All right, let's yellow. move on to a fun, another fun one. A kind of Bundesliga related one from Coco underscore Shante. Do you think Hudson Odoi should stay or leave Chelsea? Leave. Leave, go to Bayern. Do you know why I say this? Shout out to Gabriele Marcotti, who wrote a great piece on Bayern's squad depth mm. and made a really good point. He was basically like, look at the injury prone nature mm-hmm. of those wingers. Look at the fact that Perisic has gone back to Inter, Inter because they couldn't agree the deal. Coutinho back to Barca. You've got space for Hudson Odoi. And he would get games. Look, he would get you, games. You yeah. got the fact the fact that like Hansi Flick has been in for Goethe apparently, yeah, shows Which I that find really intriguing, super intriguing, but also a sign that he knows he needs another playmaker. Like he's he knows that he's one injury away from some of the challenges that Nico Kovac had last year. Hudson Odoi at Bayern is tailor made for him. Mm. It's absolutely tailor made as a move, and I'm super excited because look, I'm I'm evangelical about. English players moving to the Bundesliga, moving to Germany at this point. I just think he'd be a great fit for them as well. I mean, we're massively biased towards the Bundesliga, aren't we? We get, you know, well, we are. We look we've, at seen, it through very, we've seen it, but yeah. also like Hudson Odoi, but it's about player development as well. And this is like a crucial 18 months to two years where he could really kick on. And we've just He's seen it. Play. We've seen what it's done for Sancho. Do you know what wouldn't even be a bad shout for him is it's not going to be a popular move, maybe, but a year loan at RB Leipzig. If it doesn't work out in a full transfer at Bayern, mm. I think maybe somewhere like Leipzig for him would be a really good move in terms of development. Because I think playing under another young coach with Nagelsmann, I think he'd play. Yeah. I think he'd be a starter, a guaranteed starter, actually. I think a year of development under Nagelsmann, I think would be really great for him. I'm not sure if they would be able, to, well, they wouldn't, be able, they wouldn't pay the money for him that Chelsea would want for a permanent transfer, I don't think. I'd be interested to see what Chelsea's valuation of him is now with a slight fluctuation in prices because of COVID. I personally think he should go because, I mean, we've not even talked about the League Cup games this week, for example, but that I thought we'd maybe save until it goes to the deeper rounds. But like Kai Havertz playing central, got a hat-trick, his first senior hat-trick, and he needs to be playing central. Yep. He shouldn't be playing on the wings. And if Lampard is serious about getting the best out of Havertz, he has to be playing central. Yes. So maybe there is space. I just, I think, I think he's yeah. good enough to play and I think he's good enough to start and I think he should be at somewhere that he, if he's going to be at somewhere like Bayern, 
you know, also with Bayern, you've got to remember that Leroy Sané had an ACL injury. He's been out for ages. Right. He's not going to. He's not going to be playing three games a week. Right. He's going to need rest and not full games either. Yeah, exactly. And I think Hudson Odoi will get serious minutes at Bayern, if not alone to RB Leipzig for his own development. I think would be amazing. I'd love a curveball. I'd love to see him go to like a Gladbach for a year, or even Leverkusen for a season on loan. I think would be amazing. Just it'd just be really fun to see him in a in a side like that playing every single game, guaranteed starter. But before we move on from the League Cup thing very quickly, the way that Havertz combined with Abraham is beautiful. I actually thought him and Mason Mount looked quite good though this time round as well, but it was more Kai to Mason as opposed to Mason to Kai. Yeah, whereas Abraham and, and, and Havertz, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I could see this a 4-2-3-1. I could see this really working. I still think if they really, really want to get the best out of that squad, they need to almost play Werner and as a second striker with someone like Abraham, I think those two together would be devastating partnership. Because Werner works really well in a two at, at Leipzig. Yeah. But the thing is, it's then where you fit everyone else in. I think that you have to have Pulisic and Havertz on the pitch. Yeah. If you have Ziyech as well, then you have three behind a two. So one needs to make way from the back. Could cooks. leave Chelsea a little bit open. Too many I cooks. mean, this is going to be interesting though to see how they figure it out because... There's a lot of unbelievable potential in that, in that Chelsea squad. Can I be honest, right? It's a good problem to have right now, but it will not be a good problem to have six months from now. I know. That's all I'm saying. It will not be good. That will not be a good problem six months Can from I, now. Can uh, I change my all or nothing answer? <laughs> yeah, go for it. I'll just stick it in Chelsea this season. I would love to see an all or nothing Chelsea this season, actually. Yeah, actually, because it's such an interesting new yeah. signings, new expectations. And all those great players in and around, just even some training ground stuff, just watching Billy Gilmore, like training, be incredible. Just Aww. from the technique alone, be incredible. Yeah. We've got a question for you. Oh my goodness. Oh, no. Are you ready? My time has come. Here we go. Here we go. Nice knowing you, Akwanga. Oh my goodness. <laughs> from at Marshall23 underscore on Twitter. Can Musa please give a detailed tactical explanation of the eight. Is it a classic box-to-box role or a semi-attacking midfielder who specifically sits in front of a six but behind a ten? Can you play two eights together or does that sacrifice too much cover? Where does a four fit into all this? Thanks in advance. No, 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 Marshall. Thank you. This is a thing of delight. So an eight is deeper than a ten. You can play two eights side by side. In a possession-heavy team, you can just do with one defence midfielder, so a six. So a six is someone who's typically... So let's imagine imagine if you look at midfield, the six is like standing on the centre circle or just in front of it. So like either on the centre circle or like five yards in front of it, but not actually just outside. So just inside the centre circle and the eights are slightly advanced. And the eights basically don't occupy the space just in front of the penalty area. They run into that space, they move into it late. Because as football's evolved over time, you have these possession-heavy teams like Manchester City that play two eights and people see that and they basically just, they just chuck two defence midfielders in front of the back four. The eights, or actually, to be honest, the two eights, having two eights like Man City did it, kind of evolved, I think, in response to defence-oriented teams shoving two defence midfielders in front of the back four. So they closed off the space that someone like a Rui Costa would operate in. So the natural kind of habitat of the number 10 basically got crowded out. So then it became about making the late run. So the eight position is basically, I would say it's an attacking midfielder, 
but you do have defensive responsibilities, ideally speaking. It's not that you have to be putting in like wild challenges all over the place. Um, but the ideal, the ideal um, number eight is someone that is at least good at intercepting the ball, right? You can't just abdicate responsibility for what goes past you. Do you know, I think the best example of a number eight is to really kind of sum up the, the, what you would ideally want from a modern number eight? Yeah. Andres Iniesta. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yep. Underrated defensively. Very underrated defensively. The thing I find interesting is the difference between number eight and a traditional box-to-box midfielder. Mm. I think if they were playing now, you would class Roy Keane. Mm. Now, I think actually what I mean by that is that the number eight, the role of the number eight has evolved. Yes. I think Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira were probably what you would class as a number eight back in the day, which was, I think the number eight was more of a box-to-box midfielder. Right, yes. I think now... A slightly deeper 10 is the most crude explanation I would play, I would put in yes. as a number eight's role. I yes. Think. And the thing about the number eight is you'd have two number eights because the concept of the six, like a defensive midfield that kind of was a, a safety valve on the midfield, that, that in, in English football in particular, is mm-hmm. not a thing for a long time. So Makalele came along and played there and anchored the midfield. But until he came along in English football, you basically had the two eights, one would sit and one would go. This is why England mm-hmm. got in a real mess with Lampard and Gerrard because they were two number eights who had, they could, you know, they could, they can defend and they could defend, but it wasn't in their conditioning. Mm. It wasn't in their, and that's why they got torn apart because you had continental teams that played with a six all the time, someone who was always there, always sitting. And the four really, I mean, a four is like a deep, if, if we're really, if we're looking at six as a defense midfielder and an eight as someone more advanced, then a four is kind of a deeper lying, like almost like a, what Danny Blint did for Ajax in his final season. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. When they won in 95, that makes sense. On the numbers related from the question earlier, it's one of my favourite little number quirks, Javin Iniesta. Oh, it's so great. I love one this. One were eight for Spain, one were eight for Barcelona, vice versa. The other one wore six. So they swapped the six and the eights around for that. national and club side. I love that so much. While we mentioned Xavi, can I just say, Xavi is like an astonishing eight and arguably the greatest eight of all time in terms of like, in terms of continuous run of form, Chavi 08 to 2012, we've never seen a run of form like that. And we maybe never will again. No. And there's an, there's an amazing YouTube compilation, which is sadly now deleted, called Chavi Keeps Possession. And it's just oh, 10 minutes of what? Chavi getting the I know it's 10 minutes of Chavi getting the ball. It's incredible, right? He receives the ball. I didn't know it's, I know, I know the video. I didn't know it was deleted. Oh yeah, you see, oh my goodness, this video. He gets the ball and in a split second, he's a meter and a half away from the guy marking him. Yeah. Spins there was, away there, from him. Yeah. There's one amazing one where he did that time where he was like, I think he controlled the ball. And was kind of on the floor and did a little break dance and then just, yes. just left two guys for dead and then he was gone. Amazing. He was right. He did a little scamperer, Javi. My other favorite deleted video was the, um, someone did an amazing compilation of Iniesta's four Champions League masterpieces. Oh, wow. I know, like 06, 9, 11, 15. And like just did a compilation of every touch he took and every like great move he made. I'd watch that video like, I mean, probably a couple dozen times. More than I watched the... Hall and second goal against PSG. Is that possible? No. No. <laughs> I'm responsible for at least two thirds of that YouTube count. Oh my goodness. I love how there's go-to, no, actually one, one time we'll talk about go-to YouTube videos. We probably yeah. can't because of licensing issues, but yeah. yeah well, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> one from Emmanuel. Who do you think is the best NWSL Euro import? I mean, in terms of impact, which is the best fit for her brackets temporary club? Well, the, the new signings. Mm-hmm. I think it's Rose Lavelle, actually. Because if you look at like the way that United started this season, 
And the Tobin Heath will be obviously someone that comes in, Chris and Press. But you could argue that Tobin Heath would not be an automatic entry into that midfield because they've looked really good. Mm. They've got really good, well. Well, you can argue that. I mean, unless they change the configuration, but those two, I think they're a level up. Yeah, yeah. But it, but they've created something really nice. I'm not saying they're not a level up. I'm just saying that the chemistry is already really good and they're scoring. Oh yeah, pretty, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I mean. Um, but I think actually, having watched City's first few games, they need someone to knit it together in midfield. They do need like an orchestrator. So I think it's I think it's Rose Lavelle in at City. I think in terms of fit, it's Rose Lavelle. I think in terms of impact, I think it's Alex Morgan. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right, right. At yeah. Spurs, a player of that status coming into Spurs, who you know, this is only their second season in the top flight. That's massive. I mean, Alex Morgan is a superstar, and Man City have had numerous superstars over the years. You know, like Carly Lloyd was there. For yeah, example. yeah, yeah. Lucy Bronze is back. They've got the England captain, Steph Horton. You know, they've had numerous superstars at Manchester City. Alex Morgan to Tottenham feels like, the, well, it is the first time. It's the, it's the biggest signing they've made. Yeah. And she's instantly the biggest name at the club. So in terms of impact, and, you know, I mean, also, <laughs> she's a bloody good footballer. Yeah. So I think she's going to really add something to that Spurs squad. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly she's back to full fitness and stuff like that because you know it's like she only had a child four months ago but to be honest it wouldn't be surprised if she just came back really quick and just started scoring straight away just it's just such a such her energy you yeah. know what I mean um, but I agree with the Rose Lavelle thing in terms of technical fit because Manchester City really needs some creativity and Rose Lavelle is one of the best playmakers around so yeah but in terms of actual impact yeah fair enough that's fair the, yeah. I like the Alex Morgan thing because it is just so like whoa Okay. Statement. statement. Yeah. Big statement. Let's maybe wrap on this one. Oh, actually, I don't know. Were you a football manager guy? I was in a, t- I had my moments. Okay. If you had your moments, then let's do it. All right. One from Jacob Driscoll. Let's maybe wrap on this one. Inspired from the bonus podcast, as well as Roque, as well as Ryan's Roque Santa Cruz tidbit. What lower league football manager save do you still love dearly? The deeper the cut and older the football manager release, the better. My football manager 08 Macclesfield save hit differently this week. Can I make a confession? Go on. I never really managed like lower leagues. I managed abroad. Ooh. Yeah, because I, my whole thing with... Um, Continental th- Okwonga. Yeah, because my whole thing wasn't like take a team from the fourth division to the top division. I never... I. I I always wanted to go to clubs that had never quite won what they should have and tried to get them to win things. So my favourite saves was Palmer 0102. Oh, that's nice. I loved Palmer and I had Amoroso there and I just, I think it was Amoroso and I just had this beautiful team and we just played like great stuff. We beat Real Madrid 8-0 away from home. Wow. And I remember th- I was so, God, it's so ridiculous. I was so, pr- also that had a really tough, that was a really tough year for me. I was at, um, so 0102, I was at law school and I won't get into one here because it was still, still quite raw looking back 18 years ago, but that was one of the hardest years of my life. And as mm-hmm. a so football manager was, it was kind of a, uh, a lifeline. Yeah, it was, it was a lifeline. Like, because it was just a thing you could regularly do, a world you could disappear into where it was all good. So Palmer that year, we won the Serie A, we won the um, UEFA Cup as well. Mm. Well, I so say that year, I mean, there were like 20 seasons I played that year. But, mm. <laughs> and the rating I got was, remember there is an outside world. At one point, that's how much I was playing it. Sort of get back from law school lectures and just like on it for hours through the sort of early evening. So I was living by myself up in Oxford, actually. Flat. Shout out to Ferry Hinksy, Ferry Hinksy Road. Um, but yeah, that was a difficult time. So that, that save, 
Yeah, Palmer. Thanks to Palmer. I had a really great save in 05, which was Kingstonian. That was a good one. Oh, why Kingstonian? Why'd you go out there? My dad used to play for Kingstonian, didn't it? So I was just, my dad played for, my dad played for so many non-league teams after he left Arsenal. And it was just... Um, Got to get your dad involved at some point. He's not sent a review for a while, but I don't think he's done one since we've been on the ringer. People who listen to us prior to the ringer will know that my dad would occasionally send me some thoughts yeah. that I'd read out. And then he kind of got a bit drunk on the fame. <laughs> and started, I think he put like almost father, like... Like father, become, like son. You know, he's like, he became the mask, you know? <laughs> he, was, he was getting a bit too big for his boots, dad. He's like, oh, I'm the Stadio podcast this week. <laughs> yeah. If he got drunk on the fame of our, before we went on the ringer and we had our little corner of the internet, imagine what he's going to be now. And if he, like, it's going to be like, like Robbie Williams trying to break the US. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's us. I'm going to message him. Should I call him? Should I call him on air? Yeah, do it, do it, do it. Shall I? Yeah, do it. If he picks up, this is going to be really funny. Should we ask him something about Arsenal? Yeah. Like, who are you most excited by this year? Oh, whatever, Dad. You had your chance. <laughs> oh, no, he'll never know. He'll get a mixed call and he'll be like, oh, oh. He'll be like, what was that? So it was the moment. Can't believe he aired me. <laughs> He's very quick to uh, send me really shit football banter recently, especially about Bale going to Spurs. What's his thing on that? He sent me a, some picture of, you know, the Spurs stadium with, a, with the pitch turned into a golf course. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, it's like, come on, Dad, you're better than that. Is he, oh, is he though? He's not at all. That's quite funny. Though. That's, that's quite a fun- if I got that picture, I find that quite funny. I find that quite yeah, funny. from a 66-year-old man, it's fine. Um, oh, we had such an amazing question from Jack Hammett about if you guys could pick your dream transfer domino effect, which five players would, you, would be on the move and why? But that is such a... We're going to have to really think about that. Do you so, know, and that's a great for like kind of a special episode too. Transfer domino effect. Should we do a bonus? A transfer domino bonus? Yeah, because that's a game changer. That yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. Well if we don't do it, I'm just giving myself a load of extra work. If we don't do it as a bonus, we'll do it as one episode next week or something, or the week after. When the internationals are on, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Let's save that. It's such a fun topic. We can do yeah. it on something bigger. Thanks, um, Jack. Yeah, cheers, Jack. Can you remind us about that when we're near the time? Uh should we get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. Sorry we didn't get through all of them. And yeah, again, apologies for swerving the <laughs> the deep analysis of the EFL Cup. No, it's not the EFL Cup anymore. It's the Carabao Cup. Carabao. It'll always be the Rumbelows Cup to me. It's a Carabao type of animal. It is. It's also a type of energy drink. It's a caribou, isn't it? Caribou. They're not sponsoring the podcast. Caribou, so you, Carabao. Uh, caribou, Carabao. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. Ridiculous. What? No, it's good ridiculous. It's good ridiculous. Um, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Hope the football is a distraction. Hope our nonsense is a bit of a distraction. Yeah, hopefully. Oh my goodness, hopefully. Don't forget you can check the rigger.com forward slash soccer. My piece went up this week about Tiago, Bale, Hammers. I've got a piece coming I've got a piece coming up about Oh yeah, you do. Yeah, it's um basically about Tom Hardy and James Bond. So if you would wish to read my speculations about that, I'm not sure where they're gonna put that, but that's Ockbonder. Exactly Ockbonder. <laughs> <laughs> um Double O eight. 
008. 008. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you walked into that. You walked into that. License to nil. <laughs> <laughs> We're on Twitter at Stadio. Anything else before we go? Stay double O hydrated. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, hopefully this will cheer you up. We're playing out on Tim Meyer. Let's have a ball tonight. <laughs> have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll see you on Monday. See ya. So You're ridiculous. Is that something? <laughs> Trying hard to find the way. And peace is not so far. And yet, it seems that nobody can see that. Love is all that you need. Love is all what you have to do. So many conversations, meeting parties and cocktails to preserve peace on earth. But they never find the way. You know why? You know why? You know why? Because love is really the answer. This you have to agree It will be celebration When all people be free And if you keep doing things like that Peace is gonna be far Deep